listening to All Marine Radio, broadcasting from Costa Mesa, California, on the All Warrior Radio Network. Mike McNamara for Thursday edition of All Marine Radio, right here on your home for it, the All Warrior Radio Network. Tim Lynch and Jeff Kenny are going to join me here in a few minutes. Uh, we recorded something last night, and uh, in the middle of us recording, Russia crossed the line of departure and went into the attack uh, in Ukraine and is currently conducting offensive operations there. So, but, I mean, nobody knows that much about it. If you look at the news reports, you're seeing maps of where strikes have occurred and things like that. But again, as you'll hear me say a few times today in in, in us talking about it, $64,000 question is, how far does he go? Right? Ukraine is a big place with a lot of big cities. Big cities eat up military formations in big numbers. If he has 200,000, Kev would take a lot of it. And what do you do with the rest of the country? So the question is, how far does it go? And uh, we will find that out uh, here in the coming days and weeks and months. And then the $65,000 question is, Does the G7 have what it takes to defend the rules-based order that has been in place in the world since the end of World War II? Right? Is the West up to it? Having, you know, many nations unilaterally disarmed by their own governments, right? No, this, this will never happen again, right? And in particular, the leading nations of Europe. The Brits completely drawn down their military. The Germans don't even have one. And the French are probably beneath the, Germ- the, the, the Brits in terms of their military. So it's a wake-up call. It's also a wake-up call for energy policy. And then the other thing that's kind of I find kind of interesting in all this is there's not so much to mention of China. You know, Xi Jinping met with Vladimir Putin. What did he do? Did he guarantee right that China would finance? Um, did he guarantee that China would finance Russia? You know, if the West embargoes all your oil and gas, we will purchase all of it. So he financially guarantees the event. And if so, does China pay a price for that or not? And what you're going to see is the people who live on Wall Street, they will do everything they can to, to try to get 
the Biden administration. But yeah, yeah, don't point this thing at China. They didn't do anything. Well, wait a minute. Aren't they an ally of Russia? Then by the transitive property of mathematics, right? China's guilty and China has to be punished. And so, again, this is a wake-up call. The West has been, you know, the Germans in particular. Oh, no, you know, Angela Merkel, right? People told her this was going to happen. He would use it as leverage. Oh, no, no, no. We're not there anymore. We're in a far different place, right? You know, Europe has to include Russia. Well, here you go. This is why it doesn't. Russia's controlled by a dictator, Right, and if and if you saw any part of that speech, and I just read some excerpts from it, I mean, he is lost in the sauce, man. And here's what I hope: I hope it goes poorly in Ukraine, and I hope and I hope somebody whacks Vladimir Putin. Right, his popularity already on the wane, and now when more Russian soldiers start coming home in body bags because it's not going well, and the people in the Ukraine will fight, and so we shall see. But um, so, again, the two great question marks, how far will he go? And does the West have the resolve to answer this? And then after they answer it, do they have the resolve to begin to point energy policies in the right direction? Right. And so so we shall see. So, uh, again, without further ado this morning, um uh, Will not able to join us. I think he's traveling someplace. And uh, Jeff Kenny and Tim Lynch, the Mensa brothers minus, join me. And today we even do an addendum. Yeah, to the show. So I, I end the show and you'll hear four beeps. Beep, 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 beep. That's the addendum signal. And I had a question in my head here recently. And that is, I have a saying that pops into my head. When uh, when I'm hurrying, and I'm not going to tell you the saying because you'll hear it during the addendum. And I asked them, do you guys still have sayings in your head from either recruit training or officer candidate school, you know, that you hear when something happens in your life? And I and I and, and I give them mine. So at the end of the first part of it, which is over an hour, probably and a half long. You don't 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 go away because there's still about another 20 or 30 minutes to go and you'll hear four beeps and then you'll hear the first ever all marine radio mensa brother addendum so you got that going for you so without further ado um we start this segment uh obviously with introductions and then you'll hear jack keen um former United States Army general type um, talking about what he sees as the phases of this operation. Uh, now, Keene doesn't speculate where, you know, what he thinks Vladimir Putin will do. He just talks about, you know, the different phases of the operation. And so uh, he was being interviewed by yesterday by Larry Kudlow on Fox Business News. So um, without further ado, the Mensa Brothers. It is Thursday. Yeah, I put it up a day early because it needs to be timely. And God only knows what's going to happen in the next uh, 24, 48 hours uh, as we watch world uh, events. 
So uh, joining me, uh, first in our hearts and first on the scorecard, is Jeff Kenny from Southern California. Jeff, how are you? Very good, thank you. Jeff and I had I had tea. He had coffee last Saturday. Jeff, that was lovely. Yeah. That was lovely hanging out with you. I know it. So we had a wonderful, uh, wonderful Saturday morning, and uh, so that was awesome. And then joining us is uh, what's his name? Tim Lynch. That's his name. Tim Lynch. <laughs> Tim Lynch from McAllen, <laughs> Texas. Tim, how you doing? I'm doing great, Mac. How about you? I'm all right. All right. I'm up in Wisconsin. Uh, weather report, Jeff. What's weather like in Southern California? Well, I'll tell you. What, it was raining yesterday. I mean, drenching rain. Unbelievable. And then today, there it would like be sunny, and then rain would blow in. But uh, it's pretty much gone now. Now it's just a little chilly, but it's, it's sunny again. You know, it's not. Well, it's clear again because it's after dark here now. But uh, yeah, Tim? it was. Uh, we had some. We had some precipitation, which is good for California. So yep. yep. All right, Tim. Weather report for McAllen. Uh, it was about 79 degrees at 10 o'clock this morning at about noon. A northern wind commenced to blow, and it's about maybe 45 degrees right now. And there's palm <laughs> fronds everywhere because it was a nice blow. But, yeah, we just had a cold front just blow right in this afternoon. A cold front went from 75 to 45? Yeah. yeah. Oh, in about two hours. <laughs> I mean, you can, you can feel it drop. Yeah, it was. it's pretty impressive when wow. that uh, that. That that wind comes out of the north and starts pounding you, yeah, and it and it and it blows all the pond the dead palm fronds off the palm trees around here that that aren't cleaned up. So it looks like a looks like a bomb's gone off. There's just palm fronds everywhere, all over the street <laughs> and the yard and stuff. <laughs> the um, I'm up in I'm in Toma, Wisconsin, um, uh, and it is uh, at Fort McCoy, Wisconsin. Uh, people have heard of it, right? And then uh, mm-hmm. home of the hundred and 81st Infantry Brigade, and it's, um, you know, when you see Army Brigades that are part of, you know, their division, a lot of their symbols are very historic, right? You remember them from Vietnam. You remember them from the Civil War. And so it's kind of cool when you, I, I think this base dates back to the turn of the century. You know, you see old Army Railroad cars right engines u.s army painted on them right when we had their own locomotives and shit like that so uh a lot of cool stuff i don't do my thing till later on in the day tomorrow so i think i'm gonna have a chance to uh uh to go to the base museum and i know most people go what and i'm like yeah but i get geeked over shit like that uh when you get to see yeah you know this is old army post oh yeah yeah and so uh Second Marines, they would do Bridgeport, Fort McCoy, and then they would go to Norway back in the uh, 80s. Remember that? It was like a Second Marines thing. They they kind of had the – remember they tried to kind of regimentalize us into different missions, and they did that. And, I mean, but other other units got to go into it too. Like 3-8, before I, right before I got there, they had just come back from Fort McCoy. If Will was here, he could tell you a lot of stuff about Fort McCoy. From uh, doing cold weather shit up there, yeah. but th- you're up there at those S fabs, right, uh, Mac? What, they take these units, they turn them into advisor brigades, and they cut cut the numbers down, and and the ranks are higher. And the idea is because we we sent a bunch of our guys to their schools through the years, last couple of years to do the uh, 
their you know their their advisor training stuff, which yeah, isn't bad. That's you know? that, that's exactly what's up here, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, so so it's been pretty interesting and educational for me to to, to meet these guys. And so when when they come in to see post traumatic winning, uh, it's all you know all senior people, all older people, uh, as opposed to most unit, which would be you know much skew much heavier to to younger people. And, uh, but it's, it's real interesting. A lot of former Marines in, in, in the audience, and they always come up and say, Hey, you know, hey, Devil Dog, or they'll have their Marine Corps cup mm-hmm. or something like that. And they'll come walking up and they say hi. So, the, so that's always cool. But it's, uh, it's a, let's see, 17 degrees under mostly cloudy skies right now. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, no, yeah. but I got a chance. I landed in, uh, Minneapolis and I drove to Hudson, Wisconsin. And uh, Luke McConnell's there, and uh, he oh. moved, yeah he moved his family there uh, almost a year ago, and uh, got a chance to have dinner at Luke's house and see him, and uh, and it was awesome. You know I you know he did something very similar to what I did, which was you know move my family from Southern California to uh, a pretty a relatively small town in the Midwest. And, the Arctic uh, Circle, yeah, up in North, <laughs> up in North Dakota, and uh, but you know what, uh, small town America, small, small town America is the best, and it's kind of cool sitting around talking to him about, you know, about uh, the changes and you know the funny things that you see in small town America where people know you, right? They know your kids. Oh, you're those people from California, right? And yeah. and and they want to know why did you move here, and and you have pretty interesting discussions. But uh, no, it's very cool, you know. Is you know, uh, his family's doing great and adjusted to it and, and thriving. And, and, you know, kids can do so much more in smaller towns. You know, everybody yeah. thinks, oh, a big town, you can, no, you can't. They're on a short leash. If they, if, if they're young and they're going to the park, as, as a parent, you have to go with them. And in any big town, big city, I don't care what it is. In a small town, it ain't like that. It's different. And so kids have much more freedom to, and they develop more on their own because they can make their own bad decisions without their parents hovering over them. And then you can correct them after that. And, um, um, so. But Thomas Jefferson hated cities, man. Yeah. Thomas Jefferson said he hated, he hated it. He was, you know, right. <laughs> good, did a good job on that and the declaration thing. <laughs> yeah yeah well well done tom the um yeah. so no so it was it was cool seeing him and then uh and then toma there's not so much here right there's not so much here and uh that uh i think they would call it a blizzard blowing snow and i don't know uh yesterday and so uh so no so it's been good but you know what i got a good coat i i don't give a shit um sure. and so so it's been good the um i i want to i want to play some audio from general jack Keane. And um, and then I want I want you all to respond to it. All right. So this uh, this audio is about uh, it's about seven minutes long. And but again, General Keene is good. And what what he does in this in this in this in this video that you're going to hear the audio from, and I'll put the link to the video in the post if if you want to watch that. Is that he kind of lays out what he believes are the phases of this operation that operation that Russian Russia will conduct. And I found it kind of interesting, um, you know, from a military guy who uh, – and Jeff, you know, said he met him. We'll t- let Jeff talk about how he met him. Um, and uh, But here's uh, Jack Keane, former lieutenant general, I believe, three-star, United States Army. And uh, he went on Larry Kudlow's show on Fox Business. And so here it is. 
All right, joining me now to talk about the bigger picture, my mentor, General Jack Keane, retired four-star and Fox News senior strategic analyst. As always, General Keane, thank you for helping us. Um, I know we're all using your expertise, but you're the guy. Um, let me just ask you, uh, how deep do you think Russia will go into the Ukraine? They've started on the border. And how deep do you reckon they're going to go? Well, here's what I think has happened. It's coming into focus uh, a lot better now than it did uh, a few days ago. Uh, what Putin is, is conducting is a multi-phased military campaign that's very deliberate. So phase one has already taken place, and that is moving troops into the occupied breakaway regions. He's moved in the 8th Combined Arms Army, although he's denied actually having done that. And, and, that's, and that's completed. Phase two is likely, as a result of the claim he made today, Larry, that the Donetsk and Luhansk republics, that their entire republics he lays claim to, not just the one-third that the separatists, Russian separatists, are occupying and now his Russian forces are occupying, that means there's got to be an assault and military operations against that. And what will take place then, and he's, he'll call the shots as to when, and, and that means there'll be pre-assault fires, air, missile, mm. long-range artillery, uh, rocket artillery, and then a mechanized and armor attack across the line of contact, likely simultaneously into both hmm. of those republics or regions to lay ownership and occupation of them. Now, that's defended right now by Ukrainian military. It's heavily militarized. So that will that will be actually war and that will be casually producing. Phase three, I believe, is he's, he's got a choice to make. Does he want to expand the Donbass occupation and carry it all the way down to a bridge to Crimea? That's certainly been one of their objectives, and that's on the menu for him to do. And then phase four is the thing that everybody has on their mind, is he has a number of options dealing with Kiev and the government itself in terms of the pressure he can put on it and topple that government and get a Ukrainian stooge in, much like Yanukovych was, to run the country. That's kind of where we are. We'll go through those phases. They, they appear to be deliberate. And he has choices to make uh, considering each one and the success enjoyed with each one. General Keynes, did, did the Ukrainians start to fight back? I'm told by some reports there have been some skirmishes, but they're sort of in a pickle if they do fight. Russia comes in harder. If they don't fight, they lose more ground. What is the position of the Ukrainian military? Well, Russia moved uh, elements of the 8th Combined Arms Army into the breakaway regions, and there's there's no Ukrainian military there. So when they cross the line of contact to do phase two, that's when contact will be made. The Ukrainians will fight. They're tough. Russia is an overmatch for them. And, and they will be defeated, but they will absolutely fight. And, and there's not a lot of quit in them. Listen, when, uh, when Russia was here in 2014, they wanted to secure more than what they were able to achieve. 
and they wrote a lesson learned about it. They said we relied too much on unconventional hybrid forces. We should have used more conventional military. So even though the the Ukrainian military was nowhere near the size it, it is today, they displayed a lot of will and put up some resistance. They're, they're tough people, but they the military will be defeated. Ukrainian people will never be defeated by Russia. So the fighting could go on. I mean, I'm just saying there are going to be costs to Putin's, I'm going to call it Putin's adventurism. That's how I see it. The guy has this romanticized, uh, phony picture of history. I mean, the speech he gave the other day was just incredible. But putting that aside, um, you know, I'm hoping the Ukrainian, whatever happens to Zelensky, he may leave the country, there may be a government in exile, but you're still going to have Ukrainian people on the ground who don't want to be run by Vladimir Putin in Russia. They're going to fight, I suppose. And I was just looking for an assessment here in the, um, I'll say, the early hours of this invasion. Yeah, well, the Ukrainian people, if the country's occupied, and, and listen, that is a major, major task on the part of Russia, and it has huge amount of risks for Russia and consequences for Russia. And you mentioned it. Uh, one of them is the, the people will fight mm. and will fight as long as it takes to get every Russian soldier off their territory. But you just don't organize an insurgency overnight. It takes time, networks, mm. money, ammunition, organization, leaders, all of that. Putin has calculated that. And he, I'm sure he's taken that into consideration. He's very familiar with the nine-year involvement in Afghanistan and, and how that ended. He knows the Ukrainians are very tough and they'll fight him. But he also knows that that will take some time and he has a way of impacting it if he takes the whole country. You know, there are other risks for Putin here, certainly, too. I mean, uh, the international community, if he actually takes down the entire country, uh, he'll be a, a pariah for sure. And I think it will have some impact even on his domestic audience, which he which he's very concerned about. His approval ratings have gone down. You know, there is some resistance in the country among intellectuals and some a number of retired generals like my like myself who are in uh, in Russia are looking at this and, and saying this is this makes no sense. Um, we're re this is huge strategic overreach on Putin's part. Uh, he's obsessed personally with Ukraine and it's and it, it, he's not thinking clearly about it. So, yes, there's always risk for him as well. We have a tendency to point out the risk for Ukraines and the, the challenges we have with this administration in being able to execute a coherent policy. But there's there's plenty of risk out there for Putin as well. Last last one in our final minute, General Keane. Um, if he takes over, the, if, if Putin takes over the whole country, comes in, takes Kiev and so forth, Zelensky's government's on the run. You've got, if my geography is decent, uh, Poland, Hungary and Romania right on the border. They are NATO countries. What are they going to do? Well, I I accept Putin in the vision that he laid out that what he's what he appears to be doing is looking at the post-Cold War boundaries and reconstructing them because mm -hmm. he believes that the United States led an expansion after the collapse of the Soviet Union into Eastern Europe and NATOized Eastern Europe, so to speak, at the expense of Russian security. And he wants new security arrangements. And believe me, uh, you mentioned uh, NATO countries on the border here. And it, it, anybody that thinks that Putin is not, if he takes 
takes Ukraine, has Belarus already, mm-hmm. that he's not going to intimidate and threaten NATO is misguided. Mm-hmm. And we have really got to upgun NATO in terms of capabilities and forces. President Trump was absolutely right. We're still a long way from having the kind of capabilities that to build an effective uh, deterrence. And and the fact is, they're not spending enough money on it. it. Also, there's an issue of will, as far as I'm concerned. And we've dealt with this before, you and I, Larry, and discussing that. But it, some good things have happened here. NATO is focused on the Russian threat. That's a good thing. Mm. They are coming together much better than they have in the past. But they're a long way from the kind of military capabilities they need to deter Putin as well. All right, we'll leave it there, General Keene. We thank you, sir, and we'll probably have you back every day on this crisis. But thanks for your advice, as always. How far does Vladimir Putin go? Uh, And that's been the question for a long time now. So, Tim, uh, your thoughts on what General Keene said. He didn't offer what he thought he was going to do. He saw it as a phased operation and left open the question of, you know, how far Putin would go. Um, uh, any, you have any thoughts about, about, uh, a, what General Keene said and B, how far, you know, Vladimir Putin, do you have a spidey sense about that? Well, uh, yeah, I listened to what General Keene said and it's, he seems to be representing the consensus of all of our agencies with having laid out this phase thing. He's pretty certain that phase two is going to come and then phase three, I'm not that certain. I, I I don't know what intelligence he's seen, but, you know, judging from how our intelligence kind of works in these things, it's probably not, uh, it's not definitive, and that's being very kind about it. Right now, what Putin has done is forced us to react to him once again. He sort of formalized what was the de facto agreement on the ground with these segments of these breakaway, these two provinces, I don't know why the hell he would have to go and start start crossing a line of departure and and um, and using rather what's going to have to be a stupendously lavish amount of indirect fire in order to suppress the ATGM threat in order to allow himself to move. What the hell is he going to gain from that? I, I, I think right now he's gained what he needs to gain, which is which is basically running uh, circles around NATO. And from his perspective, despite what General Keene said about the guy thrown out in 2014 being a thug, might well have been a Russian thug, but he was a democratically elected thug, and we had very little interest in interfering with that. And from Putin's perspective, I certainly think he has a stronger case than a nebulous desire to see NATO gain relevance. NATO is, I don't believe, a very relevant organization. I think the three of us can agree, having witnessed this firsthand for years, it's not an effective military alliance by any stretch of the imagination. And I, I, I don't, I don't see why this push to be, to to make NATO uh, uh, to bring to push NATO to the edge of Russia to begin with was very smart. The Ukrainian lesson to them should be: Why the hell did we give up thirty thousand nukes? We wouldn't be in this situation if we hadn't listened to the promises made way back in 2014 that are obviously have never been kept. Excuse me. I thought it was more like 2004 or five yeah. when they got rid of the earlier, earlier. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. 
Yeah, so, uh, uh, no, it was 1990s, for God's sakes. Mm-hmm, yeah. Yeah, it was the 1990s. When, it was Clinton. Yeah, 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 what the heck? I was, I was, it was, hold on a second, I was just, the Budapest Memorandum, yeah. That was that was Clinton. So the the lesson to them ought to be, why the hell do we ever give up the nukes? And um, I, I don't agree with what, what General Keene's reading uh, into that. I, I, I think that that unleashing the indirect fire genie out of the body and unleashing that level of warfare in general. Now you've got the black swans running around. I don't think Putin's stupid enough to do that, but I don't know. Cut up. All right. So again, a little bit of inductive uh, discussion here. Uh, Jeff, first of all, you you had a chance to meet General Kane. Uh, tell us about that. Tell us what you think. Your opinion. I saw, him at the, I saw him at the base school, and I think he was Tradoc, but he might have been the assistant chief of staff of the army. But the reason he was there is because uh, the CEO of the base school, after General Allen, was a guy named Colonel Bird who had come there, had good relationships, and so he had several speakers. You know, the the base school would never have. Pentagon types who would come and talk to us. And he was, he didn't come and talk to everybody though. He just talked to us in the conference room. And he really liked the the whole IOC thing. But without getting wrapped around the axle on that, about what I think about this, the guy is, uh, he's a solid guy, you know, solid professional. He doesn't get outside of, you know, in boxing, you never throw punches outside the plane of your shoulders. You're not supposed to because then they're just arm punches. And General Keene never throws arm punches. He only says, he says stuff that you know that is backed up by what's already happened, and it's it's pretty good calculation what will happen. And the phase thing, it kind of fits in with that. I have to tell you though, and the other thing that ring when we were listening to this thing, Mac, that you, you provided us, that it, that came, it reminded me of two things. The first thing it reminded me of was Bismarck, the the, the uh, prime minister in, in Prussia who who brought all the Russian states together, and his. Motivation was similar to um, to Putin's motivation. He wanted to bring all the Germanic-speaking peoples together, and he fought these calculated wars. And he did this thing. He didn't call it that. But what, what it really was was effects-based operations, where if something worked, he pushed it. If it didn't, he backed off. And and that's the same. And, and Rumsfeld, our friend, you know, he was a big hero after the way that Taliban collapsed like a wet taco. And then Iraq wasn't much harder, you know, two years later. He believed in what he called effects-based operations, where if something works, we keep going. If it, in other words, there's no final plan. I mean, that became painfully obvious to a lot of us. Mm-hmm. But the, the, the whole idea was, let's see how it goes and go from there. And so I think that m- what might be happening here, Putin wants to see, hey, let's see what I can get away with. I, I mean, I, got, I, got, I have, uh, you know, um, arguable justification for what i'm doing now or in his mind right. and then if it if it if it works i'll push a little bit harder if it doesn't i won't the way to fight guys who are doing effects-based shit way to fight bismarck is to fight him to make it a pain in the ass from the do it you know so i think that's that's the impression i tell you i'm glad you provided that general keen thing because that the guy always is clear-minded right. stuff. not only does he say what he's saying but he made me think of other things that are similar you know yeah, no, I enjoy him, um, his commentary, because as you say, I, I like the word you use, Jeff, you know, uh, solid, you know, solid. Right. And he describes those four phases. But, and that, you know, the six, $4,000 question is, you know, and I agree with Timmy. I mean, you, 
if he goes, he unleashes things. And and we talked about that, you know, you know, uh, 200,000 troops, you know, into Ukraine. And but that's not that many in a country that size. And so um, and so can you can you control it? Will they cooperate? Will they fight? You know, and so, you know, does he get after, you know, Kiev? Now, when did we start pronouncing Kiev? Kiev or, or whatever the hell they're saying. Like, what? I ne- I never will. It's Kiev. Like the the capital of China is fucking Peking. That's it, man. <laughs> <laughs> now you hear people saying this. It's like, when did that change? Like, what did I did I miss the memo on that pronunciation? Um, so can you, you got a guy who's like a guy, a reporter who's who's like his last name is Nordstrom, and he says, you know, uh, Columbia, Colombia. You know, like Bogota, you know what I mean? It's like all of a sudden the guy turns into, you know, a Hispanic speech. Give me a break, man. The, um, <laughs> so, Jeff, do you have any uh, spidey sense about, do you think, you know, when Putin looks at Ukraine, um, does, uh, it made me feel good when Larry Kudlow said the Ukraine. So I, I didn't feel like such a jackass for saying that. Yeah, I know. You, you were vindicated there. <laughs> well, I, I, well, I don't know. I but mean, I don't know if Larry Kudlow, Larry Kudlow in your camp is vindicated. If he's, but he's a bit of a. I mean, as a businessman, he's a bit of a truth teller. I, I'm, I'm a fan. Of, I'm, I'm moderate. Yeah, he's fan a of fucking solid guy. Man. Yeah. No, I have to tell you the. Uh, yeah, my my thought was, um, you know, ask your question again so I can reframe it. No, do, do you think, uh, in terms of his ultimate end state, um, do you believe in what you just said, and that it's yes, going to be yes, effects based th- that he will push and see how severe, you know, the economic sanctions are? Yeah, I think he's going to do the mouth thing. If I if if I find mush, I'm going to keep pushing. If I find steel, I'm going to stop. Like Mouse said about you know, and I think that's uh, that's pretty that's every bully's philosophy, really. You know, right, right. So, all right. So, you expect this to be a movement to contact launched by the Russian military, right. and 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 how far the contact goes will be pay- based not so much on the physical defense, but on the international reaction. What will be the greater determinant if you're if you're Vladimir Putin to you? Well, I, I think that what will happen is uh, because of of the fact that they can't seal off the area, there will, will be there's a shitload of fox. You know, um, journalists in there. There's a shitload of other type people in there. There'll be film coming back. There'll be you know coverage. Right. And then when it does, when and when when it stops in some areas, that will be coverage in itself. If you know what I mean. Right. The fact that you know, and so I think that uh, you know the uh, you know the the uh, the, 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 the successor failure of this is going to be basically if it's if it gets rough in there, you know. Putin has to say, do I want to really be the villain of the world or what? You know what I mean? I mean, he has to really ask himself that. You know, we would say, well, he could give a fuck, right? But the truth is, you know, um, it's not that. Let me ask you a question about that because I I, I don't follow Russian politics that much. But what is the nature of his declining popularity in the nation? Because either Kudlow or I I think Jack Keane says that, right? Mm -hmm. You know, his, Mm -hmm. his population... Uh, his, his popularity in Russia uh, is, is going down. What's the nature of that decline? Why? I think he's he's making them uh, spend money and and, and uh, assets they're not 
I think the most powerful people in Russia, and for that matter, Ukraine, are oligarchs. Right. In other words, organized crime figures, you know what I mean? Who, uh, you know, they have a lot of control over things. And, uh, you know, if, if uh, Putin doesn't, doesn't uh, you know, um, uh, you know, benefit them, they're going to push back, you know? I mean, that, I don't know enough about it, but I'm just saying from what I heard from what Right. About what General Keene Tim, said. You Timmy, know what I mean? Have you seen anything about that? I, I have not, but I have to imagine you've got COVID fatigue because everybody is weird about that as, as we have been. You've got inflationary pressure. I don't think your average Russian citizen can withstand the inflationary pressure that your average American or Western European can. So I, I think that there's enough. There's enough brewing amongst all the all the citizens of the world that you could assume some of that. And and for the educated component of Russia, which is not inconsiderate, they have got to be worried about the same thing we're worried about, which is, yeah, yeah, this this seems to be working out. But what happens when we start, uh, you know, lining up the howitzers uh, 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 wheel to wheel and launching those that that's enough to intimidate anybody. So I imagine he's got those issues also. I was interested in the stuff that General Keene said about uh, about um, the Iraq, the uh, the, uh, the the uh, Ukrainians will fight. They will fight hard. What do you guys think of that? Well, here's here. I got a question before that, and and my question is: Now that we've seen that the Russians have emptied out of the areas of their of their more established training bases where they're under control, and now they're out and about in the moving moving towards uh, of these these occupied regions. What are they doing? Are they selling fucking diesel on the black market to buy booze? Which you know there's some of that going on because they're Russians. The question is how much of that is going on? If the vast majority of those sons of bitches are not selling diesel to get vodka, that's an indication of something that would be rather significant. I don't have the answer to those questions, but I'd be very curious to see how those Russians guys, once normally when they're out from underneath supervision, they're selling diesel to get vodka. Almost consistently is my understanding. <laughs> like so what are they doing now? That that because it, it's not like Chairman Chairman Mao's peasant army that's been disciplined through through very harsh discipline have molded themselves into something that was responsive. These guys are three year enlistees, man. What are they doing now? But and, and, but and even, that would be but even uh, that would suck. be fascinating to know. Even they sucked, Timmy. They un- unequipped it. We kicked the fucking shit out of them in Korea, man. They should have oh, ran yeah. right over us. They should have fucking snuffed us out, man. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. Yeah, we, yeah, it's something we could talk about for hours, no doubt. Yeah. But, but that's what we don't know. So we don't know from the Russian perspective. You can see where Putin's got a little bit of a case to make. But the thing is, is nobody's talking the serious death sanctions. Not one person is raised, for instance, taking Russia off the SWIFT banking account, because if you do that, how do you pay for their gas on the international market? That's the kind of death blow that's not being even remotely discussed, probably because it's a bit too much of a death blow, that Putin could be risking. Right that's now, it. he risks nothing. He ris- He's risking nothing but a few of his oligarch buddies being put on the do not invite list to Buckingham Palace. Who cares? You know, no. that's interesting to me because I don't know jack shit about any of that. Um, yeah, stuff me neither. Yeah. You know? that's, but that's what you got to think. That's the one thing that would be of most value, I think, looking at that. Is but I bet Mac knows. I bet Mac knows. Mac, you know about No, it, but right? let me, I mean, so you're an oligarch. I mean, you know, you can only, unless right. you want to be an oligarch in Russia, and who wants to do that? 
right? I right. mean, the basis of your, the rationale for your oligarchy is to go enjoy life all over the world. Well, what happens if the G7 says, yeah, not so much anymore, right? We're isolating you all electronically, financially, and you don't have anything outside of Russia. You know, I mean, yeah, as Timmy yeah. just said, that's, that's so, so it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see what happens. I, I just did a quick search. What's led to Putin's uh, slump in popularity? Um, and you have people saying, oh, it's a statistical error. And then others saying, no, his popularity is much lower. The reason for the initial rating slump, which came in June of 2018, according to pollsters, was a controversial move to raise the pension age in Russia from 55 to 60 for women and 60 to 65 for men. As the, <laughs> and listen to this. Here's the kicker, right? With with no rim shot. As the average life expectancy for a Russian man stands at 66, that offered the prospect <laughs> of working to within a year of your death, right? So you can see that people getting close, right? People were getting close to being able to retire. Nah, not so much. You got another five years. See, that going. makes sense to me. What, that what makes sense to me now because that makes it. My wife is half Ukrainian. She's more Ukrainian than she is Irish. And let me tell you, she wants me to work until I'm 68. And I think it's because she's pretty sure I'll be dead before I, uh, you know what I mean? So, you know what I'm saying? So I'll, right. I'll work right to the fucking bitter end, man. Right. And here, here's a quote. <laughs> Quote, I would never have voted for Putin if I'd known he was going to put the age at which we received our pension higher, said Marina, 57, a retired school teacher from Krasnodar. And then there's a graph that shows his, his population waning. At the same time, nationwide demonstrations began against overflowing rubber sites and growing problems in landfills. Then last month, Mr. Putin was forced to step in personally to bring an end to clashes between police and protesters over the construction of a church in one of the few green spaces in the city of, I can't even pronounce the name of it, right, is the Kremlin word. So it talks about his internal problems. And again, um, you know, as, as, as when you look at Russia as a nation economically, it's astounding, given their vast natural resources, that the only thing yeah. they really offer is is the exportation of, of petroleum and the economy, and therefore the standard of living. I mean, if you look at the size of the nation, is below that of Canada, right? And you just look at it and you're like, yeah. wow. I mean, that is a country on its ass. And that's, and so, and that's the best it's ever been. Right, right. And so yeah. so you look at it and, and you could, you know, they're discontent and, and so whatnot. The... um. So yeah, I, I you know to me the sixty four thousand dollar question, how far does he go? The other thing about NATO, which is to me, I mean it's almost you know a joke. Putin you know talks about this threat from the West, and then the question from who? Yeah. Right, like these nations mostly do not even have a, a military that can that can they couldn't even defend their country, and so what you're telling me is they're going to go on the offense against you? I mean, give me a fucking break! It is, you know, you 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 listen to it, and it's like he paints this picture of this, you know, this this g- giant in the West that's a menace to him, and then we talk about it, and we're like, NATO's a joke, man. Right, NATO is a a paper. I would even call it a tiger. Right, no. it's a paper chihuahua. 
right? With the United States. Let me States. tell you something. Resources. You don't want to piss off those Luxembourg people. They will <laughs> fuck you. Right. They'll tell you. They're like fucking badgers. Yeah, they'll they send their C-130 refueling squadron <laughs> to help the United States, and then you're all fucked. Right? I mean, yeah. it's it's like the only thing missing is the rim shot. Like, what? I mean, it's such so, bullshit. You know? So why do we even try to push that thing up to the countries right on Russia's border to well, begin with? No, no, no. I don't. And, let me question. Here, here, here's my opinion. We don't. Okay. But yeah. but po- Poland has been pounding their Nikita Khrushchev shoe on the table, screaming to be a member of NATO. Why? Because they like being because free. They kind of rate it, though. Right? They, 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 they do no, rate it. They, they rate it, man. Okay, but... They, but, got but fucked, they got fucked multiple times by those guys yeah. out there. Right. And they don't and, and they don't want... They, love, they like being free, right? They like running their own country. They don't want it back. So to me, you know, free nations, and those nations in particular, in Central and Eastern Central Europe, I mean, they have been speed bumps between Germany and Russia and France to the last, what, 300 years as they have fought back and forth. And these nations just get... Tumbled, and if you read Michener's book Poland, that starts with Yawn of the Birch Trees and nine hundred and forty-three years, and goes and goes <laughs> yeah, and no shit, man. Books, man. Right, and, with caveman times. Yeah, yeah time. and, and 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 he talks about why the Polish their their dark sense of humor, right? Where it comes from, their fatalistic approach to life, and that's because the Germans came through, then the Prussians came through, then the Russians went back through, then the French went back through. And it was just, we're just this this patsy. So to me, I mean, when you've been like that and all of a sudden you're free, you can see them sprinting to NATO. Hey, come here, occupy us. But I mean, that's not not fair, though, Mac. I mean, they got fucked over by the Nazis and also the Russians. Remember, before everybody loved the Russians because they're fighting the Nazis, they invaded Poland at the exact same time Hitler did from the other side. Right. You know, no, I mean, I'm, I'm like just a, saying is that the reason to me they want NATO's umbrella is the threat is not the United States. I mean, the United States and Western Europe. They, no, of course not. Right. The threat is Russia. And so to me, you know, if I was Ukraine, I would be screaming for the United States and NATO to come to, to be a part of it. Now, I mean, you know, they, I have to tell you, though, and I don't mean to interrupt the podcast with a, a frivolity, but James Michener. I mean, he he got he went off the deep end with this fucking geographical book shit. You know what I mean? Last Goodwin was the source. He, sh- I heard the rumor was when he was dying, he was getting ready to write a book called Staten Island. You know, it's like uh, you know the guy's like he just you know he he could find a turd in a bowl of ice cream about any country. You know, but I'll, I'll, I'll I will tell you what ahead. though. I mean, I mean his books though. I mean, I don't know who researches them and, and does, you know, the landscape work for, you know, wherever he sets his, his books, whether it be Alaska right. or whatnot. But, I mean, they are they are they are they become part of your life. Right. When it ends, well, it, when it ends, well, I mean, you I, feel this void in your life. Like, what am I going to do now that I'm not in Poland anymore on a nightly basis? What the hell? Well, because, as we have spoken many of time, I read fiction first. And then I'm like fascinated with the subject and I dig into it. And I find out that a lot of people who, like Leon Uris, a little bit inaccurate, you know, in some of his stuff. <laughs> Sla- but not too much. Slam, Mar- Slam Mitchner, Marshall. Oh, fuck yeah. But, <laughs> but James Michener, he is a total fucking scumbag when it comes to, you know, his historical. shit is always fucking to, 
to the left. But I like I like but I like reading that shit. Uh, yeah, I know because ninety nine ninety percent of it is pretty accurate, and then you get into yeah. weird shit, you know. But yeah. I'll tell you, when he wrote Hawaii, the source. Uh, and, but above all, Tales of the South Pacific, which basically is about Marines and sailors in World War II from Guadalcanal up until about the Saipan time, right? Okay. Very good. You know, very good. You know, you know um, one of my favorite – it's called what? Faction, right? Which is historical right. fiction. Um, right. The guy who used to be the president when I was a teenager, the president pro tem of the California Senate was a guy named James Mills, if I recall this right. He wrote mm-hmm. a book called The Gospel According to Pontius Pilate. And the book is... Wow. Exactly. The book is Pilate's narrative of of the events surrounding the crucifixion of Jesus of Nazareth. And He's like, these motherfuckers are nuts. <laughs> right. And so, but the the best part of the book is when Pilate is, is sitting there and, and Jesus is brought in front of him, and they have this conversation, and you're sitting there reading, going, "Holy shit, man! This is what they said," but it's all bullshit. Yeah. So, but it, yeah, of course. But you know, it's to me, it's this, it's that's what I love about, like Jeff said, historical fiction. You know, yeah, you, right. you you're set in there, and then they they put their own narrative in there. But yeah, the Gospel according to Pontius Pilate, and uh, and I, I I really enjoyed the book, and uh, but that was the the pinnacle of the book was. Pilate's conversation with this man, Jesus of Nazareth, and and they paint Jesus as this as this philosophical, soft spoken, but he gives these like like right hook answers right when Pilate starts asking yeah. punk ass questions, right? He, and by the time he talked to Pilate, he already had his ass whipped like oh twice. my god, so he was already fucked up, man. I mean, yeah. the guy had. If nothing else, the guy had balls of steel. Yeah, and so and so Pilate's looking at him, asking him, "So if you're a god, why don't you, you know, why don't yeah. why don't you get yourself out of this?" And he and Jesus looks at him and he says, "That's not that's not my lot in life." Yeah, and Pilate's like, didn't say and then, "You said I'm like," and then Pilate's yeah. like, I, "Whoa, I mean, Timmy, that's 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 a, that's a Timmy." Timmy is sitting here in stunned silence because a majority of my perceptions of the different countries of the world were based on my prolific reading of Michener books when I was a kid. Well, most no, of them, that'll get Timmy. you in. That'll Timmy. get you in the four ring too. Yeah, too. And, and so, so like when, like when, when I was trying to put that South African kid as an African American, I said, "What are you talking about? The whites were there three hundred years ahead of the Bantu." And I said that knowing that Michener had said that, and I was pretty sure it sort of <laughs> had to be right. God damn it! You know, Absolute now I don't know. Timmy. Timmy, I'm the same way, man. I read Caravans when I was like 15 years old. Yeah. And and Caravans is dead on balls accurate about Afghanistan, not only in 1947. Except for that big thing out in the damn desert of death. I went looking for that son of a bitch for three days. There's no big city like that out there, liar. (laughs) God damn it. You know, know and and that was my first indication. You got to admit, though. The fucking the stonings, the fucking uh, oh the stone yeah, also, the rest of that shit was spot on yeah, and also the fucking Bouzkashi. See, it was, yeah, we're yeah. playing that playing that game. You know, yeah. Bouzkashi is like their version of polo. It's savage. It's fucking savage. Oh it's no, super I, I, I went and watched one of those things. I got tape from those. I'm surprised pretty, you didn't get in there, man, Timmy. Oh hell no, you? I'm not that stupid, bro. No, no, no. That was that, a little bit too much. That's like the room of pain on a fucking crazy horse. What yeah, if I could ride a horse, I might have gotten in yeah. there. But that was what? no place for a for a greenhorn. Not right. huh? I saw I saw yeah. I saw a stoning. I mean, we were 
there was a crowd in Fallujah. And, you know, all of a sudden this crowd starts forming. And so, you know, it's like, hey, what's going on there? You know, is it something that's going to impact us? So we had a right. we had a drone up, and, and it wasn't a great one. And so it's like you were looking at this crowd, like, what are they doing? And then all of a sudden you see this one person, and you're like, what's going on? And this crowd forming around this person, and you're looking, and it's like, well, that's a woman. And then they started stoning her, and I said, turn that shit off. I, honestly, dis- yeah. disgusting. You know, you, and, and God only knows what this woman did, who she spoke to when she wasn't supposed to speak to him. But, you know, grown men picking up no rocks, kids, kids, picking men, boys, right, picking up rocks. And it's just, yeah. it, it was, it was absolutely, it make, it make you want to vomit that here you're going to kill somebody. Just call for, a fucking, yeah. call a fucking predator on that one. Oh my, you know what? Exactly. Exactly. The, um, so I just read this. This is, uh, the gospel according to Pontius Pilate. In this fictional account of Pilate's story of the trial, conviction, and death of Jesus, the author suggests that public officials are disposed to look for an easy way out of moral problems. Ooh, who, <laughs> would, who would have who ever, ever thought that? Who would have ever thought that? Yeah. So, yeah, written, and I was right, written by uh, James Mills, and it is biographical fiction. And so, uh, no, so we're talking about Mitchell. It's here. funny how many of those guys wrote books about the Romans. Like, that guy is a California politician. Right, right. right. And so, do you know uh, Lou Wallace, who was a general in the Civil War? Uh, ben Hur. Yeah. Yeah, he wrote Ben Hur. He's also the governor of New Mexico. And, <laughs> what the um, hell, right? Yeah, he, pu- he pardoned Billy the Kid and then re- uh, then reinstated the fucking find this fucking cocksucker and hang him. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it's very good. The both the books are good. His service in the Civil War is good, and Billy Kidd's a dead motherfucker. So I, I'd say he was an effective guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, James Mills, born in uh, San Diego, and uh, went to San Diego State. Uh, got elected to the California Senate from 1967 to 1982. Oh. And, uh, but it's interesting how he used Pilate to illustrate, um, you know, politicians uh, shrucking their moral responsibility and taking the easy way out, which is kind of ironic because I, 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 I wouldn't, that wouldn't, to me, the, the story of the book was more about Jesus and, and their dialogue and whatnot. But so I, I should probably go back and read it yep. again. So let's, let's, so we, we digress. Back to back to the Ukraine. Um, we sure as fuck did. <laughs> what you know? What it is the it is the beauty of the program. Um, yes, it is. Do you think? Um, I, again, I'm with Timmy on this. He unleashes a whole lot if he if he goes to Kiev, and if he and if, if he takes you know a broad swath. Of uh, of Ukraine, so your spidey sense, Timmy. Do you think he'll take more or less? I I don't think I don't think he'll take more than what he's already de facto occupied, which doesn't really change anything on the ground, unless that connecting file that General Keen was talking about down to his his war his his port in the in the Crimea, maybe that corridor. But even that would be it would seem. Awfully expensive. It's a hell of a price to pay to take a little bit of ground that I don't think he needs. Right, right. Uh, Jeff, do you think he'll take more or less? I think he'll try and make 
do everything he can to do to make the United States look bad. Um, you know, I, and also, I, but you know what? He, you know what's interesting? I think he's lost that already. Because to me, w- w- the the in my opinion, the play was right with with the gas pipelines to marginalize Germany to to pull Germany away from NATO. But that hasn't happened. Germany, you know, what this morning or yesterday announced that uh, they had uh, they're done with the Nord Two pipeline. It will not go right. In, right. And so, to me, that is that bid is done. Germany has has not, you know, suffered its its buckled knees. So the only thing now that happens is he makes himself look bad because you're going to see people's innocent civilians dying. Right as as you know, the Russians' massive use of artillery in not such a precision way, right, is going to kill a lot of people. And so mm-hmm. I don't see how I don't see how he makes the United States look. The only person, only thing that's going to look bad from here on in, in my opinion, right, is is Putin. Um, that's that's just me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just- yeah, I, I kind of agree with you, except for the fact that um, I'm always cautious about mirror imaging these guys like Putin and stuff with us because that's how we would feel about right. doing that. Oh, but he yeah. may not feel he may not have that because he controls all the media there, you know, and uh, you know, he can uh, and not only the media there, but um, you know, media that that of uh, other parts of Eastern Europe, you know, that are worried about him. And so, you know, I I, I think that um, you know, I, I just don't know enough about it. You know, what I mean, I mean, some things I really this was so much not in our bailiwick, you know, for the last 20 years that, uh, and not even interesting. You know what I mean? It's like, I remember hearing about the thing in 2014. I'm like, who gives a fuck, man? We're still fucking slugging it out with these Taliban fuckers and with one arm tied behind our back because of our fucked up government, you know? And, uh, so this thing with him now is like, uh, that's why I welcome general Keene because it's, it's clear and concise and, and that's seductive in a way because, to guys like us, we grew up with that shit. You know what I mean? We want to hear about the phases. You know, we want to hear. Okay, you know, but uh, and he may be, but I think, you know, looking at everything, I think he's doing that effects based thing. He'll push hard while it works, and when it doesn't, he won't. But I think with this guy, who's we have in charge of our country now, if he pushes hard, he'll find success. And and that's a problem. So you don't think there'll be a a strong West G seven response, and and that will enable Vladimir Putin. The Washington, no, there, the Washington Post just reported um, Russia has decided to carry out a quote special military operation in Ukraine, according to Vladimir Putin. Um, right. Russian President said Thursday. Um, so we're. We're telegraphing ahead uh, in in European time, right? Right. right. Uh, right. Quote: The situation requires us to take decisive, swift action. He said in an early morning speech, adding that Moscow would carry out the demilitarization and the denazification of Ukraine <laughs> and end and end eight years of war in eastern Ukraine, where. Kiev government forces have been fighting pro-Moscow separatist militias. Explosions could be heard in Kiev, the Ukrainian capital, and Kharkov 
in the country's northeast. Putin told Ukrainians to give up their weapons and return home. Senior Russian military commanders gathered in Moscow in the early hours of the morning, according to the U.S. government, a U.S. government official who spoke on a condition of anonymity due to the sensitivity of the matter. So evidently, uh, military operations kicked off here uh, since we've been talking about this tonight. Yeah. Holy shit. Well, see, I was wrong, but I'm, I'm telling you. I'm, <laughs> no, 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 no. You weren't wrong. The question I, is how uh, far, right? And he can yeah, shoot no, rockets. He can shoot rockets and artillery a long way now. So the question is how far does he move? And that's, and again, I'm like you guys. I don't have a good sense of, of, yeah. because again, 200,000 is not that many in a country that size with people that are armed and that will fight. And uh, so we shall see. Did you you know that uh, that picture with him and Macron when they're uh, either side of that ridiculously long table that we've been laughing about? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the story behind that was in order for Macron to approach and take a picture with uh, um, Putin, he had to arrive 16 hours early and be tested and cleared by Russian physicians and then tested and cleared again prior to getting anywhere near Putin. If he didn't want to come 16 hours and put himself through those tests, he had to sit at the end of that long table. And it was it was it was those kind of moves by Putin that I felt was make it was was giving him what it is he wanted to do, you know, because that's a pretty that's a pretty bold power move. I like that. I like that train of thought. But I don't. Yeah, uh, except that the thing of Putin is he doesn't have any nobody runs against him in elections and shit. It's like. Um, yeah, it's like Nancy Pelosi. Yeah. <laughs> no, it, it's true. It's true. Uh, will she ever leave office? I'm not making that up. Chuck Schumer, will he ever leave office? No, they're there for life. I they're think, just like Putin. I think Chuck there should Schumer be, might. I think there should be an age limit to holding office, right? Yeah. And I, I think it should be, I don't know, 70 years old, you know. There's not but too many. Putin's. Yeah, you remember your grandparents, you know, when they get into their mid-70s and and it's like, yeah, Grandpa still thinks that guy's alive. Okay, so just leave him alone. Um, that kind of shit. And uh, and yet, you know, you see, they just cannot let go. Fuck. Somebody asked me a question the other day, and let me ask you too. And it's going to take a little bit of thought. If you could meet one person on the planet right now, who would it be? Somebody who's alive, then. Correct. Okay. Timothy? I'm not answering. Okay, there you go. <laughs> I'm not as I like to go first sometimes. I'm not answering though. Yeah. One I'm the Pope. I'd like to meet the Pope. Just so when he doesn't, I don't get one of those missiles, I can say, God damn it, and make one of those uh, Jeffrey stories, the something p- like that. <laughs> the Pope? You know, I, you think of one person, I, 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 I can't. That'd be hard you like, to do. You Elon be, Musk. You want to be like Father Ed and say, God damn it, in front of the Pope. Yeah, <laughs> no, not. I wouldn't I wouldn't mind uh, a meeting Elon Musk because I just read this thing about the top 10 books on Elon Musk's bookshelf. I saw one that looked like I wanted to read it. Then I downloaded the thing and the goddamn forwards by John Kerry talking about uh, or Al Gore talking about this global warming. And it was something with Masters of Deceit was the name of the book. But it, 
it was the exact opposite of what I was hoping. So I want to talk to him about that, that little bullshit uh, uh, book, and then uh, to discuss fourth generation nukes or whatever the hell it is he wants to talk about. I, I don't know. I, I think he'd be interested to talk to uh, shit. I take it back. Jordan Peterson. That's who I'd like to meet. You, you know, I got asked today, like, are you familiar with a lot of Jordan Peterson stuff? And I said, I'm not. Um, oh, dude. And the guy, the guy says, really? And I said, no, I get asked that. I also get asked, like, if I've ever been through AA meetings. And the answer is, no, I've never been to one. And and, and oh, I know. a good place to meet girls, man. And I know that a lot of things I say, Jordan Peterson talks about, too, but I've never watched anything he does. But I have a good friend who lives in Texas, and he's a huge Jordan Peterson guy and tells me about the parallels. I said, but you want to know the truth? This is the only path through it, right, is to is to learn to develop yourself and then to help other people. There's no other path. Shit. Because, because be fascinating? To, to numb yourself and to fake it or go to therapy forever, I mean, that's why our numbers in terms of suicide and destructive behavior and all kinds of shit, that's why they are what they are. It, it simply doesn't work. And so the, you don't have to be a genius to figure this out. There is no other path. Because, yeah, no, no right. but I tell you what would be fascinating. The most productive discussion in the history of mankind today, Jordan Peterson interviewing you on your program. That would be a fascinating discussion given his his the detail of his knowledge about, you know, the the, the academic side of the approach of, of behavioral sciences. But holy shit, because you two are obviously on parallel tracks. He's his 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 area of expertise is much broader than just the the post-traumatic winning but shit that would be interesting to listen to him interview you yeah you know know what's interesting about what i mean what i do all of what i've learned i learned from the interviews i've done and it so it all comes from marines right parents of marines family members of marines spouses of marines you know so people ask me well you know i remember one guy saying you're obviously a big franco guy and i said who's he and they said, <laughs> they said Victor Frankel. I'm like, Victor Frankel. Yeah, and I'm like, who's that? It's, it sounds like a Russian hockey player. The Red Wings got a bunch of them, right? Does he play for them? And the guy looks at me. Is he still alive? Is he still alive? No, he, he no, he died uh, in about 2000. And and I want to say, and and then he looks at me and says, "You don't know who Victor Frankel is." And I said, "Oh, does that make me stupid?" And he goes, well, where? Yes. yes. <laughs> he said, well, actually, he yeah, said, yeah. where does the, that's gi- nothing to be ashamed of. <laughs> he said, where does the, give- <laughs> where does the giving thing come from that you talk about? I said, uh, Libby Weichel, she lives in Huntsville, Alabama. She's the mother of, <laughs> she's the mother of a Marine corporal named Luke Weichel who fought in Iraq, 2007, 2008. And he looks at me and he says, so you came to this conclusion on your own? And I said, and I said, oh, I think I just got kind of fucking smart, didn't I? And I said, there is no other conclusion, man. To, to stay in the valley of the shadow of death, medicated and go into therapy every two weeks? Fuck that. That's, that's a path of death. So you don't have to be a Mensa or a Mensa brother to fucking figure mm-hmm. this shit out, man. There is no other path. And he looked at me and goes, whoa. <laughs> yeah, but then you read the book and you see the parallels and it's spooky, right? Right. Oh no, no. Yeah. You're right. You're right. And so then, then I like. Well, I guess I ought to look, read about this Frankel dude, right? Yeah. And then you know, one of the great, um, 
things that I've, I've read is uh, there's been a couple of really cool things that, that have happened to me, kind of serendipitous. One is that I, I interviewed this guy named Jack Riley, squad leader in Vietnam. Right, right. Yeah, Company 3-9. And he talks about meeting Gene Sledge. And he's at a luncheon in Mobile, Alabama. And he's sitting there at this table. And this dude sits down and looks at him and says, Hi, I'm Eugene Sledge. <laughs> and Jack says, I almost shit my, I almost shit my pants. Right? Because <laughs> yeah. he said, I'd read the book. Here's Sledgehammer. And it's this really cool discussion uh, that ensues. And um, and so I just forgot the other one. And what's the other really cool thing, that, the serendipitous thing that's happened? Oh, me. no, I'll tell you. Um, um, so you understand this this kind of path of, of how you change your life and that the one of the greatest historical example is admiral stockdale's leadership in the hanoi hilton but they talk about the last year of their captivity you know the north right. vietnamese they improve their diet because they know they got to give them back and they start giving them the books that americans have been sending and you hear these guys talk about one of the books that they read one guy reading it 49 guys listening to it is Frankel's Man's Search for Meaning. And they're living right. they're living the experience reading listening to the book and going, Holy shit, that's exactly what's happened to the, us under Stock. How could the North cool Vietnamese be so stupid, man? <laughs> nobody screamed. How could the North Vietnamese be so stupid? <laughs> nobody nobody screened the, the books. Book. These are they're fucking beating the fuck out of these guys and tormenting. <laughs> well they had, they they had, yeah, they had stopped by then though. They yeah. stop and but I mean but I'm saying right. they're they're trying to make themselves look good and they send these guys that book. <laughs> Stuff that you know gives uh, gives eloquence to their suffering. To their, I mean, so, yeah, so exactly gives yeah, su- exactly gives sus- sustenance to their suffering, and so. Yep. But it, but it's really amazing when you hear them talk about. It, and these guys have written a lot of books uh, in the aftermath of of their you know their their captivity, and they've set a record of excellence. I mean, think about it, like John McCain, mm-hmm. Stockdale, all these different guys that have come out of those those prisons and, and the lives they've led are just pretty amazing. But those are just two very cool kind of uh, things that have, have come out of uh, this experience. Well, in my opinion, if it hadn't been for Hanoi Hilton, John McCain would just be one more example of nepotism in the U.S. You know, military. Uh, but when he refused to go back... You know, when he refused to go early because he was the admiral's son, then he brought nobility to his otherwise undistinguished career before and since. Right. Yeah, he's a shitty senator and so forth. So you know, I don't want to shit him too much. Well, yes, I do. You know, but uh, he did good in in the Hanoi Hilton. He did good, and no, that is not a good. That's not an easy place to do good in. So I give no, him. No, yeah, you you, and, and you know, one of the things they talked about, um, you know, Stockdale's acronym back us right N- never bow in public right? right never apologize you know um and so um but they got they talk about they they wanted to go home no their agreement was we will go home in the order that we were captured alvarez right. was had to go first most senior guys had to go first and then they get this list and it's not like that of, of when they were going home. And so they refused to leave. They said, we're not going. And I <laughs> want to say Henry Kissinger had to intervene. And then I can't remember. It might have been Sink Pack at the time flies out and tells him, 
you get the fuck on this aircraft right now, yeah. right? Like, I know you have your own little fucking world in here, okay? But God damn it, this is happening, and you get your asses on this plane. But they were adamant, we will not, we will not go. This is the way we're leaving. And, uh, it, and I will tell you this, it is one of the most incredible stories in American history. You know, yeah. Admiral Stockdale, and, and, you know, he's a different cat. You know, there's a lot of people he's that... A- yeah, he's a different guy. cat. You know, he is the valedictorian of his high school class. He's the best athlete, and he acts in the school play. Okay, there's not too many of those dudes around, right? <laughs> and then when he's at when he's at Stanford, supposedly getting a degree in international relations, he says, yeah, I was bored with that shit. So I go to the philosophy department and said, hey, I'd like to get a, a, a second master's in philosophy while I'm here in my spare time. And the guy who's who's running the department is a retired World War II Navy guy. And he goes, not a problem, man. Back in those, back in those days. They, yeah. were every, they were everywhere, right? Ah. No, but I'll tell you what, they're great, you know, to use John Kennedy's book, they're great profiles and courage. Uh, of, uh, and Stockdale prepares himself intellectually, you know, and, he, and, and when you see, if you go on YouTube, you'll see him talk about, you know, he's one of the flight leads during the Gulf of Tonkin event. Right, right, and, right. And, he's, and he starts telling you about, about what the what what the hell's going on, and he's like, "What? What's going?" And so, then when he gets shot down, you know, he says, "I eject." He said, "I flew into a flak trap." He said, "My aircraft gets hit. I eject, and as I'm floating down, I'm thinking, I am going into the land of Epictetus, right, right, the Stoic philosopher, you know, where I will be a slave and." Um, I know I'm going to be the senior guy. I'm probably going to be there between for f- five to seven years till the war ends. And this is where I'll fight the war. Right. And I know that because I'm, 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 I'm the senior guy, I'll, I'll lead down there and I will lead them down this path of, of the Stoic philosophers. And I will never mention stoicism or philosophy the whole time I'm there. And he, and never, he, and he never did. And he, he never does. Yep. And he, so he's just a brilliant, I, I think in American history, you know, you see some leaders whose skill set for the circumstances they, they faced were, you know, off the Richter scale. You know, George Washington, one of them. Abraham Lincoln, another one, right? And then um, men in great crisis. And Stockdale, to me, is is has to be near the top because of... Um, Agreed. Yeah. Absolutely agree. Yeah. And, 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 and his, his, his life and, and that experience there is, is well worth your time, you know, to explore... Um, because, I mean, those guys come home, believe it or not, with a, a rate, and this is what got my attention, a rate of PTSD of 4%. Yes. And, very low. Very low. Right. And the everybody most, else, The lowest. Right. Everybody else in Vietnam comes <clears throat> home with 30. And I know somebody wrote Jeff and said, you know, Max says 30, and a bunch of that is bullshit. The rate was probably 15. Okay. I'll accept 15%. Okay. Legitimate 15%. I mean- Right. Still coming out of a place where you're imprisoned for years and kept in solitary confinement in some cases and tortured in many, right? That's still a pretty good nut. That's still a crazy nut. Oh, yeah. Right? And the guy who sent that, and you know him, Mac, yeah. he was uh, he wasn't in any way uh, denigrating. Uh, no, no. He's just, guys, yeah. no, he's footnoting the footnote, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. No, he's just no and fucking, I respect that. But it's he's just again, Arizona. He's one of those Arizona grunts. Yeah. <laughs> Been in the sun too long, but but yeah. but even when you hear that number, I mean, I heard that and I was like, "That's bullshit." I don't believe that for yeah. one second. And then you start to then you start to read their story, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's it it is it's one of the most amazing stories. And then what they did when they came home. I mean, their families get told, 
when they come home, based on what people saw from Korea, they will be destroyed human beings. They will be infantile in nature, and they will not be the person you knew. And these right. guys come home, and they set a record of uh, – and I think they still get physicals yeah. every other year down in Pensacola because they're still part of a study based on what they Maybe. went through. And, yeah, you know, so interesting. I'll never forget the movie Rolling Thunder in the 70s with uh, Liam Devane where he plays all those guys. And uh, him and Tommy Lee Jones played POWs and get out of it. And it's the same. It's the, they're like, they got, they're the only ones in the whole movie have their shit together, you know? But it's like, uh, if you ever had a chance to watch it, Rolling Thunder, good flick. Got it. So the $64,000 question is, how far does it go? Um, what are you reading? Timmy, what are you reading? <laughs> Lucky 666, which is a book. It's, it's a freaking awesome book. It's a, it's a book by uh, Bob Drury and Tom Clavin. And those guys have combined to write a bunch of books from Valley Forge up until uh, uh, something on, on Afghanistan and everything in between. Lucky 666 was a tail number of a B-17 that was taken onto the boneyard by a captain named Jay Zemer who was in a little bit of hot water for uh, uh, antics while flying and basically was cooling his heels. And what he and uh, uh, this this very hotshot bombardier named uh, Joe Sarnosky, supposedly the best bombardier in the Army Air Forces, they built this plane from scratch, recruiting some other uh, uh, um, uh, misfits and, and supposed screw-up crewmen and outfitted this thing to be a photo reconnaissance plane. And what he would do is he would fly this thing they they took all the bombing equipment out of there because they put the, uh, the the cameras in there, and then he lined the goddamn thing with fifty cows. So he had multiple fifty cal stations that they would fight from. He controlled a thirty caliber swivel gun from the pilot's thing, and he would fly at zeros and fight them when he was on these photo reconnaissance missions. But uh, the story is about this uh, uh, um, a reconnaissance they were they were they had to make um, out of I. I I, I, it was on an island that they never invaded. I think it, I, I forget which one of the major, it might have been Truck or one of those bases. Yeah, truck, requ- truck, yeah. Yeah, it's required them to make a three-hour by-themselves flight to be in position to photograph the Narrows. They're looking for, for coral and whatnot to see if they could get boats in there. As the sun was coming up, they had to be level for 20 minutes or something like that, right. flying straight. And while they're doing this, they're watching squadron after squadron after squadron of zeros take off to come up and intercept them. They get the photos, do it perfectly, and then engage in a six-hour dogfight. I mean, they sat there and fought these zeros off for six or four hours. I can't I can't remember. I'm going back off of memory because I was reading it earlier in, in the week. Every crew member wounded. Four, I believe, win medals of honor. Uh, one of them posthumously, the rest of them get flying crosses. I mean, it was it. They barely make it onto an air base, not the original. What the base, fuck is which, posthumously? Dead. Post, uh, he got. They got three of them. Got uh, one I of the. Po- that, one of the uh, I thought that's posthumously. Yeah. Well, it, are you doing the Kiev? Depends on what time the of the day you're reading it. It could be posthumously <laughs> if it's a little bit later. Are you doing the Kiev Kim you know, thing to me? Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a timing issue here. There's variations in the posthumous. Pos, pos uh, uh, oh, no. I'm making that shit up. No, but anyway. uh, let me tell you. I mean, that story is yeah. an amazing story. Yeah, and you first hear it, and you're like, "How many? Like, yeah, it's just the whole thing is crazy." 
Oh, oh no! They, and, and, I mean, it's they said they said that plane looked like a flying porcupine. It had so many gum barrels sticking out of it. And uh, yeah, they just sat there and wore the Japanese out as they as they slowly flew but, back. But they and, specially configured that plane, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. They, yeah, they built it themselves. They had all that. Like I said, I think the thing had a total of eighteen fifty cal machine guns on it. Only a couple of thirty cal. Yeah. And it was so all they all they were carrying was it's they like didn't two, have to carry bombs. It's like two carrying infantry. nothing but ammo and photographic it's like, equipment. It's like two infantry battalions worth of machine guns. Could you imagine? The, you know, sure. you, you spot the, you spot the zero right, and instead of having one weapon right pointed at them, you have six, right? Yeah. <laughs> and you're just blasting yeah. the shit out of that motherfucker. Well, those corsairs. Those Corsairs, you have 20 Mike Mike Callan, uh, you know, cannon underneath the nose. So, I mean, it's like, so if you miss them with the fucking, uh, with the 50 cal, you hit them with the fucking 20 Mike Mike, it's going to blow a hole in them, man. Yeah. yeah hey, wait, a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Where did the Corsair come from? It's a B-17. No, the Corsair, he's talking about that. I'm just saying the uh, the Vought F-4 Corsair, the Marines use like after Guadalcanal and shit. Right, right, right. Pappy Boynton's plane. They had all kind of ordnance fucking racked up on those bodies. Oh, yeah. The um, but it's it's Jeff- just interesting that a bunch of guys could, without authorization, cobble this thing together, then sell themselves as the photo recon experts that they turned out to be, and uh, and get awarded for it. Yeah, because they because they sell they it. sell the idea the the what the yeah. the guy the plane yeah that guy. He's like a mad scientist genius. He he comes up with the whole idea. But you know what? Right? One of the most interesting things about World War II is, I mean, we grew really fast, and there wasn't so much supervision. And they fucked with right. everything. They fucked with everything. You you look yeah. at what we did to tanks going ashore, uh, you know, mm-hmm. on Iwo Jima and different island campaigns. They they put wood frames on the side. They poured concrete. Yeah. So they they had spaced armor. They wore they welded nails and, and track around the turret so they'd have more armor. They fucked with the, they fucked with the optics. They fucked with everything. Right? Yeah. And uh, it was you know it was like a bunch of guys guys smoking cigarettes in a garage working on their hot rod right hey what do we do literally i mean literally right. like that but that on, story on that story is a crazy story the lucky 666 story because he comes with up with the idea they trick out the plane and then they and then the metal monitor thing is what really like what that's yeah. crazy so yeah lucky but even jfk even jfk if you read about his uh tt boat yeah. like his JFK's he tried to put a 37 millimeter marine anti tank uh, gun up in the nose. Right? Right. You know, he he was super aggressive. JFK. I mean, that was his finest hour. And I think in yeah. his whole life afterwards, he was like, ah, fuck it. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, like, hey, hey, come left. We can make it. Yeah, crunch. Yeah, what the and, fuck? And before, <laughs> and before we uh, finish with Mister Tim, I have put my footnote. To last Wait week's comment did about who just, was first in Hitler's bunker. Did you just right next? Did you just refer to yourself in the third person? I did. I did. I, I did. This is a what you know. I'm, we've been podcasting long enough that I'm starting to experiment now with different ways of expressing myself. Being a student and all. Well, sometimes you're too harsh on each other. I think. Like for instance, no. I have to apologize for I called back the Fuhrer of the podcast. <laughs> And I shouldn't have done that because that presupposes that me and Will and Tim are like Nazis or 
Winston Churchill say Nazis, right? So <laughs> I thought about it. No, no, it German is it? No, I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, it's just a German word for Fuhrer's leader, right? Yeah, well, maybe. Yeah, but so I, I think, think you're, you like, might be reading too much into it. It's just, you know, it's just, I thought it referred more to you guys as lemmings. But I was watching the TV and I thought, I saw the view come on. I thought, you know, oh my the, Mensa God. Brothers were, the Mensa Brothers were like the Mensa view and Will, or no, um, Mac is like the Joy Bihar of, uh, you know, of... What the fuck? <laughs> this the, started out as an apology and now it's going to turn into a fucking insult? Well, yeah. I hope you don't feel insulted, <laughs> but I'm just saying. She, oh, you know, no. No, I enjoy being I enjoy being compared to Joy Behar. <laughs> That's not going to get my fucking ire. Go ahead. I was thinking that, but is it really her who's in charge or uh, Whoopi? Which one is... Whoopi suspended for not really understanding the nature of the Holocaust, if you could imagine I, that. I think Will is more like Joy, and you're more like Whoopi. <laughs> I, I, I say that anybody and, who has me, any idea who's compared to who with yeah. the view, you shouldn't admit that you even know what that is. Yeah, I don't, I don't even know, it. like, how do you do, I, do you watch yeah, it? Do I've know, never even seen the fucking thing. Like, because I'm married to a broad who watches that shit. That's how I get uh, it, man. And so that's how we all get it. Like, you all oh don't know God. what I'm talking about. Yes. So it's like, you know, wow. I mean, but, I think you should be Whoopi and Will can <laughs> be Joy. And me and Tim will be those nameless others that they have. You know? <laughs> well, well, <laughs> We're better than them, though. Damn it. Yeah. I just wanted to make sure my footnote was noted because I didn't want to. You. I didn't want to give the footnote help. But you know, so hold on. Let me. Though. Let's explore. Right. Let's explore. So let me let me pull up the footnote because I did challenge him. I said you're going to have to footnote that. Okay. And so did you just post it? Am I not seeing it? What's going on? No, it's in the chat function. I'd the chat right function of, the of what? Of, of, our, of, of Skype. Of our Skype. Yeah, God Skype, damn that. it, Timmy! Why the fuck? Did, no, like, who uses that besides you? Oh, that's right. Fucking nobody. Um, twenty percent of gamblers commit suicide. Oh, the fall of that, no. That, I I throw that stuff up there just as we're starting to see if you're going to get that jump on Will. But uh, it, my efforts are wasted. <laughs> I'm the only one who looks. Yeah. Biography um, and further readings. Gadam Gadamack Hill was a small rocky hill outside Gadamass Village on the. No, dude, go, go down Gadamass. Go down to, to to what I put today. The first troops to enter the bunker were female troops from. Start with that. I can't see it. Oh, well, shit. Uh, right. Let's see. Oh, the first I... troops to enter the bunker were female troops. This is copied and pasted. This this is not a footnote, man. This is, this is like, what the fuck is it's this? It's copied right out of the book, for Christ's sakes. What did you want me to do, an APA footnote for you? Well, I can't. So, I oh, can't. The citation, I mean, it would be preferable in the future if you just do a screenshot of the page of the book, and that way, you know, I don't think that, because I know that you, in your role as, like, podcast expert, right, are more than willing to fudge the fucking truth. That's the nature of all of this. You became a celebrity expert, Timmy, and now you're paying the fucking price. So, so, okay. Well, see, that hurts. That hurts because no, this is and not you know quote. what, and this you know why too. You know why too, because of your long soliloquy about the fucking Wizard of Oz. That's why you're paying. 
Yeah. No. This you and your little, f- you and your fucking con job about the Wizard of Oz, right? Right. That was well, here. I, I explained the quote. See, this is not the quote I was referring. It wasn't. I couldn't find what I was looking for. So oh, well, Beaver. there you go. I couldn't find what I was yes, looking for. I wrote for. to Anthony Beaver the fall of 1945 as channel, and and I put it up here that, that you know what else can I say? What else can I say? There it is. <laughs> No, it's he exactly as I told you guys. That they, he's just he's just running through who were the first people in the bunker. The first two groups were, were female. That's all. I'm just trying to put a footnote up there. I'm sorry yeah. I didn't do it in the record. I'll tell you what, though. That is interesting. There's yep. females in there first. I, that's, yeah, and that's not the quote I was looking for. I right. can't remember where I, fu- I saw it last. The, the quote I was looking for was even better. Well, and they go. said, end of the hollow link, starts is even. End of the hall, window number seven. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah. Je- Jeffrey, what are you reading? I was reading, I'm reading View from a Tall Hill, a biography of uh, Robert Rourke, who uh, wrote great books about Africa in the 50s and 60s, Something of Value, Uhuru, uh, The Honey Badger, and some other stuff. This guy was a great guy. And uh, reading the, the story, like um, I'm, I'm almost halfway through it, but the, the, the interesting part is they're constantly comparing him and Ernest Hemingway, and the other, you know, the other big author, America. The only there's only three. You would have thought there's a lot. Theodore Roosevelt, um, Ernest Hemingway, and Robert Rourke wrote a shitload about hunting in Africa, and uh, they compare all three of them, and huh. it's a, a very interesting uh, story. And and uh, Hemingway never met Theodore Roosevelt, but he did meet Robert Rourke, and uh, in the fifties when he's already played out. Ernest Hemingway was, and uh, and and Rourke was a hard drinking fucking South Carolina guy. He died in the mid '60s, but interesting shit because the guys, uh, the books are great. Something of value, Uhuru, uh, the Honey Badger, and um, um, oh, there's another one I can't remember right now. I didn't get to read that one. They're just outstanding, and uh, I would I recommend them to anybody, you know. But because that shit kind of went out of style, I mean, he's like. You know, shooting Cape Buffalo and elephants and shit like that, you know. But he's very conservation-minded. The idea is to you shoot just enough to keep them from starving to death because there's too many of them because their natural enemies are gone, you know. So it's very interesting. The, um, yeah, I would tell you, I'm speaking, so I'm not reading, but um, I, 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 th- I really enjoyed The Gospel uh, According to Pontius Pilate by James Mill. And if, if now you, you got me wanting to read it, man. well, I mean, it was, it's interesting because the, of the detail of the of the period that that Mills writes with, and like I said, I I now I'm going to go back to it because I think I would like most books you read a second time, you, you take other things away from it because you're a different human being right. at the time. But I was, uh, yeah, I was, I, I was, I was fascinated, you know, um, when I saw the title, you know, and and honestly, I was, I won't say I was giddy. But, you know, when they get to the part where they actually, you know, speak to each other and you're trying to envision what would this discussion have looked like if if Pilate is a worldly, you know, man and, you know, a, a from Rome and and he's uh, in this important position that's of, you know, of, of uh, a kind of a hot spot for Rome and he gets sent to uh, to preside over it. Um, yeah, so I, I, yeah. I mean, I, I thoroughly, you know, enjoyed the book, and, uh, and, and I'm a huge fan of that. I, I, I was a fan of Michener too. I mean, I, when I got done with Poland, 
Um, I, you know, it's almost, again, you spend so much, I mean, the books are like, what, 1300 pages and shit like that. I yeah. Mean, they go for, they go forever. And the, then the source when, centennial. You're right. They're all great. And they're even Chesapeake was long. Yeah. Yeah. Good story. It was stories, just about a damn bay. <laughs> but, and, and so, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I thoroughly, uh, enjoyed them, but the, uh, but anyway. you should read that. You should read caravans by James Mitchell, man. Caravan. It's not that long. Caravan. It's about after. No, it wasn't long. It wasn't that about, long. At all. It takes place after the Second World War. But he, he nails rural yeah. Afghanistan. He no nails shit, Afghanistan. He, he, he nails it absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. All right, boys. First of all, thank you very much. And uh, evidently, uh, the Russians have LD'd uh, uh, on the Ukrainian border. And so, we again, the 64,000 question how far does he go? And then. The 65,000 question, what is the response collectively of the G7 and, and the democratic nations of the world? Because, again, you know, standing very quiet in all of this is China, right? All right. Uh, met with Putin, you know, a month or so before, before the Olympics. Hey, don't do anything while I'm running the Olympics, okay? I need to, I need to run this con job on everybody before you can do your stupid shit. And then, Absolutely. And then so... Xi Jinping standing there with his hands in his pocket saying, nothing to see here, but what is the calculus they're doing relative to this and Taiwan? And so, um, so I guess... Uh, yeah, it's all, rehearsal. Rehearsal time. Yeah, is, yeah. And so, um, what will the... And again, what's at stake is the rules-based order that the the world has lived with since World War II. And so, is that going to become a thing of the past because of Western weakness? And uh, And again... The old historical, you know, line that peace through strength. If you don't want to fight, be strong and make sure, as General Newbold said, your opponent knows that they, one, they will never win. And two, the price they will pay, should they decide to chance it, will be annihilation. And so, and the West has gotten soft and, 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 you know, you have countries like Germany, like Germany doesn't have a military. The UK has drawn theirs down to be absolutely nothing. France has done the same thing. And so other than the United States, not so much. So anyway, so it'll be um, obviously fascinating to watch. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll start doing more of this as, uh, as those operations unfold. And so, uh, Tim, Jeff, and, and just Will is uh, traveling right now, so he could not be with us tonight. And uh, I'd like to say that we missed him, but we didn't. And so I won't say that. So anyway, until, until we meet again. Um, he's on his way to Ukraine, baby. He's really, he's really not. I think he might be going to Florida. But anyway. Anyway, all right, boys. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Mac. Have a good day. Yep. See you guys. That was fun. Yeah. We're like, a Dan, we're like a Dan Carlin hardcore history. We got our own addendum show now. Yeah. Fuck it, hey. Yeah, here we go. All right, um, I forgot to ask this question, so I'm going to ask them. I have a phrase in my head that has stayed with me from officer candidate school, okay? And I want to ask if you guys have a phrase similar to this from your time as, a, as in particular, maybe not at OCS or recruit t- training for both of you guys, um, but something from your early Marine Corps days that has stuck with you. And what it is for me is is – you know, hearing, right, sergeant instructors and platoon sergeants, it might have been Timberlake yelling this, right, right, quickly, do not rush, quickly, do not rush, 
quickly, do not rush. And so when I'm in a hurry, <laughs> that's what I hear in my head, right? And let me tell you, it's great fucking advice, right? So move faster, but do not rush and skip steps. Move faster, do not rush and skip steps. And that stayed in my fucking head forever. So, um, Jeffrey, do you have some piece of Marine Corps um, history, a saying that stays in your head that you hear from time to time as you live your life? Yes, absolutely. You know, Gunny Step, my mentor from Tehran, and later on my company Gunny in 3-5, he said, there'll come a time when you'll be on the radio and you'll be talking to a lieutenant or a captain, and they'll ask you something, and you'll want to lie to them. Don't ever do it. Don't ever do it. Your men will hear you. And then as sure as shit, they will lie to you. They will lie to you. And he was absolutely right. You know, absolutely right. Always tell the truth when you're talking to, uh, you know, it doesn't, it sounds like a no shitter, but you guys know what I'm talking about. No, you know? right. Where are you? Where are you? How much have you done this? Have you done that? And a lot of times guy will bullshit, you know, and, uh, and, he said, don't ever do it. And I'll tell you what, I want a couple times. I didn't really know what he's talking about. I hadn't been in that situation. I never was in a position to have any control over the radio you know, until that point. But when I did get it, I immediately knew. And I never, ever did that. You know, and I told my old people, you know, always tell the truth. Always tell the truth on the radio. You know, that's tactics. You know, you, you must do that. And people will say, well, no kidding. But it's 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 there's a big temptation to kind of be obscure on the radio and you shouldn't ever do it. Well, you know, um, the battle of Getland's corner, which is a story that Jack Riley talks about. Right. Um, right. Um, and general Neal was there and, um, you know, one of the things they got ordered to set in, um, three platoon ambushes reinforced by weapons platoon. And they had right. been, uh, they had seen and Bobo was and Bobo was weapons platoon commander. Bobo right? was weapons platoon commander. General Neal is their right. RDFO, and right. so um, uh, the, their commanding officer, of, the commanding officer of India Company, uh, Getlin. Yeah, Third Battalion, Ninth Marines is a guy named Mike Getlin, and and based on the activity that they saw, the footprints, right. The width of, 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 of the marching files and of the footprints, the newness of the equipment they had seen throughout the day in the area, they knew there was a lot of NVA. And so they had a you know the little orders group, and the lieutenants are, are, are telling Captain Getlin, hey, sir, we don't have to do that, though. We can, we can radio in the three positions, but we'll stay as a company in one of them, whatever you select. And, we don't. and Getlin looks at them and says, I won't do that. Right. I have orders to come out here and execute. Right. Um, I'll express my concern to the OPSO and then we'll live with what he says. And the OPSO said, hey, if you if if you won't do it, we'll send somebody out there who will. And Getlin said and Getlin said, yes, sir. And then uh, General Neal in in the interview says we didn't even get all the all the platoons were about a, a click away from the company CP. And he said, we didn't even get, we're in our position for very long before we heard the thump of the mortars. They walked the mortars over the company CP 
And then the battalion attacks the company CP, the MDA battalion that had been stalking them. Uh, And then others went to blocking positions to try to keep the platoons from getting back there. And again, in in that in the Battle of Getland's Corner, and and if you on All Marine Radio, if you type in the word Getland, G E T L I N, you'll see the podcast that I did with Jack Riley. But you know, Bobo's award, Lieutenant Bobo's award, the, the Medal of Honor posthumously. Four Navy crosses, six silver stars, and three bronze stars in a four and a half hour fight. And I think it's the mo- it might be the most decorated action in Marine Corps history in terms of a four hour single battle fight. It might be the right. most decorated one in Marine Corps history. And uh, but it starts over that issue, Jeff. Will you tell the truth? Will you go out there and do what you're supposed exactly. to do? And Getlin pays with his life. You know, he pays with his life. And 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 you just did a great rendition of what happened there. Because that's exactly what I what I read about this thing too. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Timmy, how about you? Do you have a saying? Um, well, who the fuck cares after those Getlin's Corner stuff? I nope. mean, geez, no, I had one. <laughs> I had one, but now it sounds so anticlimactic. No, in, in all seriousness, it was TBS. Uh, office, you know, officers in command never run. And remember, I mean, that was something we were constantly hammering the lieutenants. Right. When, you, don't, you don't go running when you're late to class. You don't go running anywhere because if you saw the colonel from TBS sprinting somewhere, you would correctly assume that the end of the world is near and some kind of gigantic <laughs> emergency has happened. Otherwise, the colonel would not be sprinting. You know, that was something that we would teach the lieutenants, the, the lieutenants as a vehicle to make them punctual. But it was a it was something that stayed with me because even when things I mean, not that in a training scenario, things were always that fucking bad but you know you, you get yourselves in the pickles out in the training areas i never got excited never got flustered i never ran whatever uh in those situations and i never forgot that that lesson was important how the marines see you when you're handling adversity i'm glad but you, you can't said that you can't I, take that and go to getland's corner though you can't take that yeah, and go you anywhere can, Timmy. yes you can it's, okay it's the different Different levels of and 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 for the record, I ran like a striped ass ape on many occasions <laughs> <laughs> to avoid being late. To avoid being late, I know we all did. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. But the point the point was well taken. I never forgot it. I always yeah. thought that that was a good lesson to, on executive leadership. Never let them see you sweating. It's funny yeah, though I how mean, those things stick in your head, isn't it? I mean, yeah, and, I and never so, forgot it. So today. You know, I'm I'm trying to get a, a handout made and then hang it on my website, right? And and so and then turn it into a PDF and, and have a link to so it's downloadable. I look at the clock and I want to be there an hour early to make sure the audio is right today. And and now I'm packing my shit and I'm hurrying, right? And I can hear this in my head: quickly, do not hurry; quickly, do not rush; quickly, <laughs> and, I'm yeah. pack, and I'm packing my shit. And it's just Slow weird. Right. Slow as fast. And you hear, and you hear, and and it was, there was so much wisdom in it, right? There was so much wisdom in that, in that, hey, move quickly, but do not rush what you're doing. Okay. And, uh, I just, it it just made me laugh. And I thought, you know, I should ask those guys if they had, uh, if they had, uh, if they have sayings that have stuck in, in their head, uh, from, uh, from that experience that obviously, I mean, you, you meet, and I talk about this. Uh, as I do post-traumatic winning, when I talk about how cell phones isolate young Marines now, um, and they're you know they, they're an instrument of isolation. But from a senior Marine's perspective, we used to have three formations a day, right? Yeah, yeah. And I talk about when I was a lieutenant, I wanted to be a company gunny. I thought that I mean they'd be out there three times a day, 
right? And they're doing like Def Jam Comedy Hour out there, right? I mean, the <laughs> shit was hilarious as they're wire brushing. The staff and COs are out there. They're wire brushing everybody, right? And you're listening to it, and it's funny. I mean, you hear words you've never heard in your life, and you're like, what does that mean? And like, oh, no, right? And so you're hearing the vocabulary, right, of the enlisted Marine Corps, and it was so funny. Hey, listen to this, man. Where Gunny Stubb used to stand at Margarita, right? Yeah. He used to stand in the same place. Company, ah, oh, ten. He looks down and somebody drew a finger, like a <laughs> fuck you finger. And he goes, was this intended for me? Well, fuck you all. <laughs> Put two fingers out like that. And we were, the whole company, it was a great morale builder. Right? The whole company, <laughs> was this intended for me? Well, uh-huh. fuck you all. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, and it, it was that. And so I tell them, I said, you know, I had a sergeant major tell me something that, that I thought was absolutely valid. I've heard it from more than, more than one sergeant major. And they said this, we as the staff NCOs are the mothers of the Marine Corps. We get them dressed. We get them to school. We feed them. We solve their problems, right? We take them to the doctor. That's a incre- that is the role, right? That of the mother, right. and 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 I look at them and say, now we don't have formations like that. So the phone isolates them more, and now we pass information in these group text windows. So they are better informed and more isolated than ever. I said, you know, right. when 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 I joined the Marine Corps, we were still living in squad base. I said, we oh, didn't, yeah. our gyms were shit, man. When we PT'd, yeah. right, it was green on green, let's go grab that log, right? And because or, I was, red, or white t-shirts and red shorts. There you go. That, right. And so, <laughs> and so, and then grab that log, boys, we're going to go be somebody, right? And so I said, but you know what? We were all, it was, we did things in the collective. We were on top of each other, right? And, and I said, and field day. Every Thursday, right? In the afternoon, staff and COs took their cup of coffee and their symbol of power, their green notebook, and they went into the barracks and they hung out there. And what were they doing? They were collecting on Marines the whole time. Hey, how's your dad? Hey, sit down. What's going on with this? You know, how's your car you're working on? And they were up there, but we we lived in the collective. And now it's really interesting because we seem to be too busy to do that. And then the problem is they need to do it with it. With the guys who aren't causing problems either, you know they need to say, "Hey, you know you know about a guy who like a good guy. Find out about you know his family, and then you know a mediocre guy. Find out all his stuff because you never know, you know. And instead of just focusing on your stellar guys and then your shitbirds, you know what I mean? Right. So that's what usually happens. Well, right? and again, but that's what a formation was for, so you could go up and down the lines and fuck with the guys until they got called into. Yeah, formation. but you yeah, know what, Timmy? Somewhere so in the last fun. twenty years, somebody concluded that formations were about passing information, and we can do it much more efficiently in in oh. in, in group text, and we don't need to have formation anymore. God, yeah, formations were hysterically funny sometimes. But again, the, the second funny. function was to get your eyeballs on their asses, right? Exactly. And so why is PFC McNamara standing over there normally squared away and talking shit? That's the, that's the absolute primary function of it, was it? Right. To right. inspect your people, see how they were. Right. And, how, and right? so today, he's standing over there, and he's not saying a word, and he looks like ass, right? And then, and then the Staff Sergeant Gunning looks over and says, hey, idiot child, right? And I look up. Me, Staff Sergeant? Yeah, you, Mac. You come see me when we're done and bring bring Sergeant Jarrett with you. 
at the end of formation, we walk over, what's going on? Why do you look like ass? Why aren't you talking shit? Uh, my wife left last night. I don't know what to do. Now, we all know in theory they're supposed to tell you that, right? But in practice, do they? No. But when you're, right, when, when you're, when you have that kind of experience, right? And younger guys aren't going to notice that stuff a lot because they're going to have a list of shit from the gunny to do, right? And so if you're having platoon formation or section formation, it ain't the same, right? And, and so to me, when you realize that, I mean, you see this like, okay, we got to go, we got to turn it back. And and that's one of the things General Furness laid out in his you know in his basic daily routine. We have to go back to doing this stuff. There was more than passing information going on there, boys and girls, and we got to get to that again. But it was the experience of the collective, which was the which was the Marine Corps experience, which made it fun. But but you uh, need to yeah. The inspection was because you need to always be a value. You always need to know that the uh, the readiness of your people. And that's what that was. Right. The, the, that's the main thing that would do, you know. Right. It was. Like it's, they're not, oh, it was. Like, first it, off, the team were, event. If they were there, if they were there. <laughs> but there's and valuable. Even, there's valuable adult life lessons that you learn. For instance, the price of getting a big nasty hickey on your neck. You ever find a ring with one of those on a formation? Oh my god. Oh, that that can result in five hours of incredibly amusing education for the marine involved. That was amusing to everybody else. But the shit we used to be able to find and have fun with, God, hickeys. I had forgotten that. I, um, you went, this is a little bit off color story, but I'll tell it anyway. Um, That's my specialty. Exactly. <laughs> we were getting ready to do, to do our McCrest when I was with 1-5. I was a junior, junior second lieutenant in the battalion. And so we wound up in an assembly area off of uh, kind of the Las Polgas exit over by Camp Flores. And so we're yep. kind of over there, and uh, I, had, I had this PFC named Gregory, and he had been busted from uh, Lance Corporal because he he tried to commit suicide by swallowing a steak, T-bone steak bone. That's a story that I heard. It happened before I got there. I tried that a couple times. It doesn't work. So Gregory was was telling this story that he had um he had been with a woman and had um and had climaxed seven times as a man in one night and so my platoon is having this big argument about it and i and i so i walk up that's pretty that's that's unusual (laughs) so i walk up (laughs) i walk up and i say what puts him up in john holmes territory (laughs) john holmes never did that and and he said and he said and so i hear him arguing i'm like what are you arguing about and and somebody says sir pfc gregory said this i said okay here's what we're gonna do and we didn't have shit going on right we'd we'd cleaned our weapons we'd staged our shit now we're just evening is settling right and i said all right let's have a trial corporal dennis Right, you're going to defend Gregory. You're his attorney, all right? Um, Staff sergeant, you're the prosecuting attorney. Everybody else isn't sitting going to sit in the jury, and I'm the judge. So we, I get like three cases of MREs. I'm sitting on this box, and now we begin this trial, and we're they're calling witnesses and shit, right? And but <laughs> we're making too much fucking noise, and the sun's going down, right? And so all of a sudden, out of out of the darkness, I hear my company commander, Captain Eddie Bickham, right? And all of a sudden he yells, where the fuck is Lieutenant McNamara and what the fuck is going on over here? And everybody, you could hear this like, right? And I stand up and I said, I'm right here, sir. 
And I said, what's going on here is we're having a trial for PFC Gregory because he claimed to bust eight nuts in a night, and we're trying to find out if he's guilty or innocent of that charge. Captain Bickham says, he claimed what? <laughs> I said, he, eight, sir, eight. He said, what are you, what's your role in this? I said, I'm the judge here. And he said, I will be the judge of this. <laughs> so he sits, <laughs> he sits down in a box of MREs, and we finish the trial, right? And the Marines are laughing their asses off because it was funny shit, right? It was funny yeah. shit. And, um, but, you know, it was that camaraderie of the group, right, yeah. that, that was always the best. Right. It's why guys so then, risk their lives and why guys die for each other and things like that. And so to me, the co- doing things in the collective is so fucking important, you know, to, to building, you know, the esprit de corps that has always been, you know, you know, the whole why we fight yeah. thing. So anyway, right, absolutely. Anyway. For sure. All right. Well, there you go. From sayings to PFC Gregory, wherever the hell you he should have put. We should have taped that, man. <laughs> Did we tape it? I don't remember. <laughs> we're taping it right now. Good. Yeah, we're, we're on an well, addendum, man. Yeah, this is the addendum. Is Timmy addendum, for some reason? Timmy's Timmy's fired up about addendums. Yeah, because the only other addendum I know of is on the hardcore history addendum. We're like right up there, <laughs> sort of, maybe. <laughs> Not really, but you know, you can think like that. All right, so there you have it. The first, ad- <laughs> the first addendum to All Marine Radio on the night that Vladimir Putin... First of many more. There First you go. of many more. Yeah, now that Timmy knows a it's a thing. Already. And, and, he's, well, and since he's an expert, he's going to start playing that card with me. So anyway. All right, boys, <laughs> right. thank you. All right, All right man. man. See you guys later. That'll do it on a Thursday morning. Yeah, the Mensa brothers here. Um, and depending on my flight schedule, speaking schedule, we'll try to do something tomorrow as this thing has unfolded, maybe on the lines of the Ops Intel thing that we started doing uh, a while ago. Relative to the American departure from Afghanistan. So something similar, so we can track um, tactical movements, do kind of our open source op Sintel, and at least put it together the way we would. So, um, yeah, but again, I mean, there's not a whole lot, um, you know, of information available other than that. The Russians have essentially commenced offensive operations into Ukraine. And again, the $64,000 question, how far will they go? So we're about to find out. And uh, anyway, um, that and the trial of PFC Gregory, it doesn't get better than that. Yeah, no kidding. kind of funny you know Jeff talked about his lesson was tell the truth on the radio well when Captain Bickham said that and I didn't I couldn't see him I just heard his voice right 
you have a split second to decide what you're going to do. And so I told, I told him, I told him the truth. And, uh, you know, it was the Marine Corps at its finest, right? Um, stupid stuff. Laughing your ass off with great guys. And our company commander then joining in. And, uh, you know, again, I, I laugh when I think about it that day. And so, uh, and, and again, my platoon was good. You know, we, uh, we then kicked off our McCrest the next day with my platoon in the lead of the company. Yeah. As a junior lieutenant in the, in the company, I was fucking proud of that. And so were they because we were third platoon at Charlie Company. And when I got there, everything we did, right, it was either one, two, three. No, it was three, one, two. No, 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 I'm sorry. It was two, one, three. And within about two or three months, everything we did was three. And then I didn't even know who was behind us because I didn't look. But we would always be the, either the base platoon, the lead element, or whatnot. My Marines love that shit. So, uh... So, yeah, no, we went off and did good stuff during the Macress. We then went up to 29 Palms and then over to Okinawa. Uh, the Goon Platoon, third platoon of Charlie One Five. Yeah. With our own song, Marching Men Who Fight and Die. Right? These men are America's pride. Men who are willing to fight today. These are the men of the French Forger. Our motto is march or die. We are the men of Charlie 1-5. Yeah, how about that? Yeah, written by Corporal Dennis and Lance Corporal Richard Canada from Sacramento, California. One of my homies. That's right. He was funny. Lance Corporal Canada used to call himself the maneuvering element. And he would sing that song, and the company loved singing that song when he would be out calling it. And so Captain Bickham, when we'd be coming into the central training area, right, we'd get, you know, just, you know, right outside the gate and be getting ready to come in the back gate into Hanson, right? You'd hear, get Canada up, and then you'd hear Company Gunny yell, Canada! And then Marines would get fired up, right? First of all, we were close to getting home, so we'd be able to get out of all of our soaking wet shit. And go get something to eat. But they like singing. And they like Canada being out there. And Canada, he was a heavy set kid with a big ass. He'd go waddling out there. And he'd be like, come on, boys. Let's do this shit. And they would go, let's go. So anyway, on that note, have a great Thursday. I'm Mike McNamara. This is All Marine Radio. Our first addendum to the program. Um, uh, say a prayer for the people of uh, Ukraine. Um their fate is is being uh, affected by a dictator in a totalitarian government who has no right to do what he's doing. And again, uh, the President of the United States will speak today. And if his sanctions are narrow, he will send a message to the Chinese and the free world will send a message to the Chinese that we're afraid to stand up, right, when history points at us. 
And so the sanctions and whatever actions the West takes have got to be heavy, have got to be heavy, not only as counteractions to what the Russians are doing, but a message to China in that we're not afraid, right? We've gone down this path before, right? And we're not afraid of you, either one of you. And that's a message that has to be sent. And so, you know, in the hours before the president gives his speech, you know, you just pray that President Biden is up to the task, right? And and the other thing that you're going to see is 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 that you're going to see business interest, Wall Street interest, try to keep whatever actions we take from impacting the Chinese because nobody wants to see their business in China get screwed up. And the United States and the G7 is going to have to take a hard look at the way we economically empower through energy Russia, and they've got to do different things. Germany's got to rethink shutting down its nuclear power plants because being held hostage by Russian energy is not a good solution for Western Europe. And the same thing Right with uh, with China, Wall Street has got to take a hard look at the way they're funding a nation that has the same designs as Vladimir Putin. And so, going to be some sobering days here in the future, and we're going to see, right? We're going to see if uh, the United States and the G seven is up to defending the rules based order that. The Western democracies have flourished under since the end of World War II. So keep your fingers crossed that they do the right thing. On that note, have a great day. I'm Mike McNamara. This is All Marine Radio, and I'm out.